Mr. Haxon? Yes, hello. Shil Shammerman, Marketing Supervisor for Drake. It's great to have you here. Yeah, my agent said you needed a face for your Valentine's campaign. Oh, do we ever. Voyager Direct is making out like bandits. They've already got the initials going for them, and that marketing team, STD, they're positively viral. Oh, I hear they get around. And somehow, Asperia and Castra Tourism already booked Kerrigan ahead of us, so we need something to compete. Unthinkable. And with you guys being a top ship manufacturer. Right? Asperia just makes knockoffs of enemy ships. Anyway, sit right here. Girls? Oh, um, are they on their way to wardrobe? They've already been to wardrobe. Why? What's the problem? Um, nothing. It's just... Well, it kind of seems like with their um, uh, costumes, uh, we're a bad camera angle away from filming a different kind of commercial. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Haxon. Our camera crews are complete professionals. Just like the girls, if you know what I mean. I'm going to try very hard to believe I don't. Uh, so is this the script, then? Yes. Everyone's in position, so just start whenever you're ready. Okay. Brill Haxon here. Whenever Valentine's Day rolls around, people see red. Whether it's the hearts and synth roses from the ones you love, or the bloodlust clouding your vision at being left alone and unloved by the entire galaxy. That's, that's not really an uplifting message. Stick to the script, please, Mr. Haxon. Fine, fine, fine. Red is where it is at, and Drake Interplanetary has everything you need. First, featuring bright blood red, occasionally contrasted by black as deep as the void, Drake's trademarked pirate-themed paint scheme is available for most commercial spacecraft. You're seriously calling it pirate-themed? Look, I don't want to be rude, but who has the marketing degree here? It's not like it comes with an actual pirate. You don't think we give out swords to everyone who buys a cutlass now, do we? Well, no, but I've seen the news reports, and there are actual pirates who paint their ships like this. Hence the name! But people might think the buyers are pirates? <sighs> Jake Interplanetary is not responsible for any social, societal, or governmental assumptions that may be made about our products or the ownership thereof. We assume all customers are law-abiding, upstanding members of the verse, and report any obvious legal violations to the proper authorities. Now, can we please continue? Okay. <clears throat> But I don't have a ship, you cry. Well, fear not. For this holiday of Crimson Care, Drake has a special sale on the Cutlass Red. For just 185,000 credits... Hang on, isn't that your normal retail price? Scripts, please. You get your very own search and rescue vehicle featuring a built-in medical centre. Here's Big Barnacle Barry to tell us his story of love and compassion. Oh, is he a character, you guys? I see Com Channel A. Mr. Barry? What? Go ahead. All right, I got myself a cutlass red a while back after gotten its owner. That med bay's a useful finger. This guy I hunted down got dismembered during the fight, so I pulled him into me red after boarding his ship and stripping it clean. The autodoc got him stabilized enough that I could get his home base location out of him. Then I wandered back that way to case the joint and see who was hanging around guarding it. Thank you, Mr. Barry. Mr. Haxon? No, no, hang on. That was an actual pirate who just confessed to a murder and grand theft starship. No, no, no. That was a customer giving us a testimonial about our products. Keep up, Brill. Are you seriously telling me you're going to use that in the ad? Of course we are. We just have to fix it in post. Fix it in post? Sure. Here, we'll give you a special sneak preview. You guys ready? All right, pipe it through. I got for Cutlass Red a while back, that med bay's useful, this guy got dismembered, so I pulled him into me red. The autodoc got him stabilized enough that I could get his home base location out of him, then I wandered back that way. 
I need to call my agent. I don't know if I can endorse this campaign. Oh, you already did, champ. I did not. I've only done this one commercial. This is Brill Hexen for Break Interplanetary. My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is Control, be radial, keep calm, and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 155 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, February 10th, and made available for download Tuesday, February 14th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Henry. And I'm Ostron. So, what do we have in store this week, Ostron? This week's Squawk Box, we check whether there are any signs of life on Europe. No, no, sorry, that says Europa. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover missions and models for Star Citizen, factions and features for Elite Dangerous, and early entry for Hellion. Next, we debate the merits of being the Walton family in space sims, and finally we turn to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. So that takes care of the housekeeping. Let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Our thanks go out to Chuck007 for tossing this story our way. It has been said that NASA is infamous for overplanning things. Doing nothing to dispel that rumor, in June 16th, NASA began preparations for a mission that would involve placing a lander on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. The preparations began with an SDT, that's Science Definition Team, and has nothing to do with BD's marketing group. The team is made up of 21 scientists. The goal of the mission will be to analyze Europa's surface and massive ocean underneath it to determine that the future robotic explorers will need to survive and send back data. Europa's ocean is of primary interest to scientists because it's theorized to be all salt water and in contact with the rocky surface of some kind. They have high hopes of discovering some form of life there, since at a basic level it's the same environment that led to the genesis of life on Earth. As one might guess, life detection is another primary concern for the SDT. There is no target date for this mission yet, but NASA did mention that it is separate from the Europa flyby mission they have targeted for 2020. If you're in the area, NASA is hosting several town halls on this subject. The first is on March 19th, at the 2017 Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, the LPSC, at the Woodlands, Texas. The second event will be April 23rd at the Astrobiology Science Conference, ABSCICON, for those that care about such things, in Mesa, Arizona. So that's pretty neat that they're actually thinking of putting a lander on that moon. If you remember uh, the whole story of Arthur, or uh, not Clark, um, at, oh no. The Clark or Asimov. 2001. That was Clark. Yeah. The, uh, the whole theory of Europa has been that it could sustain life has been around for quite some time. Yeah. Well, the I mean, the big thing that has everybody excited is that ocean. Like it said in the summary, they're figuring since it's supposed to be salt water. I mean, we got life developing on Earth out of salt water here. So they're hoping 
it might be an incubator of some kind. The only thing is, is I'm, I'm kind of worried that we will introduce something into that environment. As good as we are at, at clean rooms and all that other stuff, I, I don't know. We could very well inter- introduce ba- bacteria of some kind. That's something I've heard they're concerned with, but I think that's something they'll be worried with more when they go there to drill because they'll be actually accessing the ocean at that point. I'm sure the lander's goal isn't going to be to access the ocean at all because uh, I think the ice layer there is kilometer thick, so I don't think they've got a way to actually drill down with the lander or any hope of trying to do that with this particular first mission. Yeah, this one is all visual and spectral analysis. I mean, I suppose it's still possible that something could end up on the ice and then get through, but that would have to be a really hardy bit of bacteria or whatever. Because first, it'd have to survive through multiple years of raw space travel, and then it would have to deal with interaction with a frozen saltwater surface. Or whatever I think the the surface of Europe is they think is frozen ice right yeah salt ice see there's a whole lot of radiation there too I mean the reason that it's heated is uh, gravitational push and pull from Jupiter but also the radiation coming off Jupiter because that gas giant gives off a lot of radiation right and Europa has no atmosphere at all right so, so anything on the surface I think would probably be in trouble. But who knows? I, I heard they did find uh, living bacteria in something that had been to the moon and been left there. A camera or something? I didn't hear that. But unless they scrape off some of the bacteria that started to grow in Chernobyl, they'd probably have trouble. Red Scene or heard something you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 175 Port Bay, hands on approach. Checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for February 10th, 2017. $142.7 million, up about 271,000. 1.737 million registered accounts, up about 3,600. And 1.213 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about 5,800. News was even thinner on the ground for Stardust in this week than last, as development continues and releases are further on the horizon. That said, 2.6.1 was released to the PTU as of this time of this writing, featuring regional server support and some updates to Star Marine performance. CIG is hoping that it will improve the overall first-person experience. We're hoping to have some first-hand insights from our research badgers but they all tried to start the download at the same time and they were using my connection, so it's the impressions will be available in March. Maybe. Possibly. Hopefully. The rest of our information comes from the new Happy Hour show and the January Monthly Report, which released shortly before this recording. There are two major themes shot through both, new missions and female body animations. I'll pause so you can make your own off-color jokes in your head. Now that that's over with, the animations are ones that the male body already has, but they have to be applied to the female model and smoothed out if there are any gaps, jerks, or other visual issues. Developers are also combining it with work on items 2.0 to make sure that all grips, holds, and buttons are gender neutral. And both models are holding and pressing things without fingers or limbs clipping into geometry. 
The mission system work is twofold. First, the devs are designing mission givers to be sprinkled liberally around the play area so there aren't two people in the solar system who for some reason have leads on every job ever. Widening the pool of mission givers also allows them to be more situational. Depending on your reputation, the welcome you get from these NPCs will vary. The missions themselves are also receiving some attention from the writing team. In addition to full narrative arcs for longer missions, they're also designing mini-mission pieces. As we've mentioned previously, shuffling, reordering, and tweaking these set pieces will allow missions that are the same on Moby Blast to play out in multiple different ways each time. One last bit of news that was hidden in the monthly report, Turbulent says that they are close to releasing the first version of Spectrum. For those who don't remember, Spectrum is a suite of upgraded social and organizational tools for the website, including chat groupings, improved forms, and some mobile upgrades. Their plan was to have a rollout with the official release of 2.6.1, so keep your eyes peeled. I know a lot of orgs were excited for that Spectrum release. I'm kind of excited for Spectrum. I'm, I'm hoping that it will fill some needed gaps in the organization's stuff because I've been tasked with a heavy responsibility there and I want to make sure that I can get some of the things accomplished. Well, you're going to be our go-to person when it comes out then. Probably. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot more that was really revelatory with Star Citizen this week. Yeah, I, I got the... The news, I've been invited to the PTU, and, and I got that email, and then I got the email about the update all today. So I haven't even finished going through all the rest of the stuff of it, on it yet. Yeah, a couple. we've got a couple of people with guard frequency that got PTU invites, but none of them were able to download and play. Although I think Kin Shadow got in, and he said that the Star Marine play seems smoother, hmm. uh, but... It was just sort of a general feeling. There weren't many specifics to it. Our Star Citizen community question, how is 2.6.1? Did you read something in the monthly report we missed? You can get in touch with us on our usual channels. Full details coming up in the feedback loop. Last week, we covered the second wave of the Colonia expansion initiative in Elite Dangerous. And as of this recording, the new factions and ground bases are now visible in-game. The new names for their star systems will come with the Commander's 2.3 update, and the mission board service will come online further down the road. Details yet to come. Meanwhile, the third Colonia Migration Appeal community goal is underway. Transport galactic travel guides from Blueford Orbital and LHS-2447 to Jack's Station in Colonia for the up-and-coming faction of your choice. Continuing the run-up to the Commanders, Frontier is hosting two live streams this week to unveil two of the key features. The first stream is the same day this episode will be released, Tuesday the 14th at 7pm GMT, and it will include the Commander Creator in action as well as other unspecified features. The second stream on Thursday the 16th at the same time will be the first glimpse of Multicrew. Both of these streams promise, quote, things that have never been seen outside of Frontier before, unquote. Don't miss them, but if you do, make sure to tune in next week for the full breakdown. Live streams, not so much. I'm excited to see the multi-crew stuff. That's going to be cool. But I'm, I'm more interested right now in the stuff that's going on with the ruins. We don't really have news for it because it's just things people are talking about. But the ruins are broken again. So hopefully the things that are coming out in the next update won't be broken on release also. Broken programmatically or some sort of like program scripted broken? With the ruins, apparently you, they've found, I think, seven ruins, and they all seem to be duplicates. There's two sets of ruins, and uh, basically there are several copies of each, 
and it's still, with seven found, it's still impossible to find all the data that you need for the Ramtah mission. Huh. So it just seems like with all these releases, every time Frontier tries to do something, it comes out, there's, you know, there's a problem with it, and we're talking about moving into the next big update with multi-crew and all that stuff, and I'm still looking at the, the broken aliens and the way uh, the alien wreckages, when we come across those, would crash the game. Those kind of things are still happening. I'd really like to see that fixed before we get into, you know, multi-crew and stuff. Yeah, it probably depends on where they were in the cycle when they decided to act on the bugs, assuming they did decide to act on the bugs. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to, you know, talk down about Elite. I do love the game. I'm just getting really frustrated with some of the bugs. However, multi-crew really is going to be cool. I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait to see how they handle multi-crew in VR when you're walking around and your commander right now doesn't have a head when you stand up and look back at your seat. It's just an empty suit. I wonder if that's going to change once we have uh, commander creators. I would think so. It's the logical place to put it in. Yeah, I guess it'll just speak to how much they're paying attention to the VR side of things. It's not something I think most commanders would see. Because sitting in your seat, you're not even aware that your avatar doesn't have a head. It'll be interesting to see. It's been pretty hush-hush. I mean, we've seen a couple of pictures of avatars on bridges, and that's all we know about multi-crew. Well, yet another reason to tune into the live stream and see what they demo. Yeah, both of them should be really interesting. Both streams. This week's Elite Dangerous Community question, the Research Badgers want some time off, so let us know what you think of the Frontier live streams. Honorary Badger submission methods will be covered after this week's feedback. Many people agree that the space sim genre is experiencing a resurgence. As further evidence of this, a new player is throwing their helmet into the void. Zero Gravity Games is marketing its game Hellion as a first-person multiplayer space survival game, and it's planning to hit Steam Early Access on February 24th. This game seems to be aiming for the realism crowd. It's boasting realistic orbital mechanics, full Newtonian physics, and a realistic scale to everything. Probably because of the latter goal, the entire game takes place in one solar system, which is not the one we're currently inhabiting. Players will apparently start on a derelict space station and there will be some sort of narrative backstory that encourages players to leave the station. Their only option to do so, however, will be a docked shuttle that has seen better days. This is where the game starts to borrow ideas from No Man's Sky. In order to fix the ship and make sure you don't die in the vacuum of space, you have to scrounge around the space station for raw materials and then use those to craft things that will repair and or improve both your ship and your suit. This is where realism re-enters the discussion. In addition to things like air and temperature, you also have to consider radiation protection for both you and your ship. On top of that, food and water are things that you need to find. So the first order of business for most people will probably be mining ice out of comets. The development bits they've released so far don't give specifics, but their tone suggests you don't have to abandon your initial space station once you strip it for parts. Base building is listed as a design goal, and it's apparently one of the ones they completed first. In fact, the list of development goals that have been completed point to the developers being very interested in making this a survival game first. While they list things like ship customization, ship-to-ship combat, and mining ships to be goals, all of them are still labeled work in progress, while salvage, environmental hazards, base building, and first-person mining are all done. Of course, that could reflect the capabilities of the game engine, which in this case is Unity, rather than any design choice. The game's website will be linked in the show notes. 
On it, there are several development blogs stretching back to the early 2016, covering their idea of survival, procedural generation, cargo, base building, and many other topics. Some subjects have accompanying demo videos as well. As mentioned before, the game should be available as an early access title on February 24th. Their FAQ says it'll be priced comparatively to other early access survival games, but our research badgers informed us that an early access survival games are currently running anywhere from $10 to $30. So it's that's not as helpful as one might think or would hope. For our sake and theirs, let's hope they price sensibly in light of gameplay at release. I mean, I'm looking forward to the survival and base building aspect of it. I play a lot of space engineers and a lot of astroneers, so I'm interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely... My my thought as I was looking over the details of this game is it seems like they're aiming to grab a lot of the people who were disappointed by No Man's Sky's survival aspects. Because, I mean, No Man's Sky did have a survival element to the game, but it wasn't much of a threat and was more of an annoyance that sort of turned into a grind. So it'll be, I think, very interesting to see if they manage to strike the balance of making survival risky and difficult enough to be engaging without making it either like so impossible that it's based on pure luck or, you know, so easy that it just turns into an annoying grind like it did in No Man's Sky. I think the greatest survival game I've played recently is the Solace Project. It's not a space sim, it's a space game. But there, are, there is really only one enemy to fight in the entire game. The entire game is based on keeping yourself fed and warm, uh, or, you know, and not too hot. And keeping yourself from being uh, killed by the elements or by... Uh, you know, like storms and things like that. It's interesting gameplay, and it takes you out of the pew-pew for a while, so I think that's cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this, but then again, it's early access, and it's one of those Steam Early Access games, and so many of those, they just don't live up to it. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see on this one. Yeah, that might be a good policy for anybody that isn't really into getting into a game at the early beta level, because the list of unfinished game mechanics on their site is pretty large like it's about half and half right now and some of the stuff that's being left out seems fairly significant Um, like their entire crafting system seems to be unfinished as of when we're recording this and since it's supposed to go to early access in two weeks I don't see them making a whole hell of a lot of progress in the interim so, do you have any plans to play Hellion? What price are you hoping for when it hits early access? Stay tuned for our contact info in the feedback loop to let us know if we should be joining you. So, now, you know what time it is, kitties? It's time for News We Didn't Use. Thanks to its alpha weekend, iNovia has managed to make improvements to the physics processing in Infinity Battlescape, increasing the speed of the calculations by 70%. Wow! 
Around the Verse this week featured details and discussions on how CIG's ship pipeline is pushing your favorite craft through to being flyable. The Wormholes update is coming to Eve Valkyrie the day after this show is released, bringing new features for players rank 5 and higher. I haven't played Eve Valkyrie. Is that any good? Have you guys tried that? I have not. It's not a PC game per se. You have to have VR, apparently. Yeah, I just got VR, though, so I was, I was wondering if it's any good. I didn't realize it was VR only, though. From what the little buzz I've seen is positive, although I'm not sure how much of that... Like, it doesn't talk much... What I've seen doesn't talk much about the gameplay. Most people were just excited because it was sort of the first VR game that had high-fidelity graphics because so many of the VR games now have graphics that are sort of a generation or two behind what we're used to seeing because the VR frame rates need to be so high that a lot of places can't or don't want to push their graphics capabilities that far. EVE Valkyrie is, I don't know if you'd call it like Star Citizen or Elite level graphics, but it's if it's not there, it's very close. But every review I've seen has mostly been gushing about that. Apart from that, it seems to be fairly mundane uh, space sim dogfighting. I don't know how complex it gets. Probably not as complex as Star Citizen. Maybe not even as complex as Elite, but I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it in a great amount of detail. Thanks for that. It might be worth checking out just because I'm in VR. It might be uh, just another interesting VR experience. Yeah. I wanted to talk for a second. I've been trying to get Star Citizen to work in VR. There's no VR support natively for that. You have to use an external program. I thought that was interesting. Well, um, they've said before that the VR support in Star Citizen, for one, has mostly been focused on Oculus, and that's because a couple of the developers were sort of Oculus early adopters and fans. So they were working basically on their own time to try to get Oculus support to work for Star Citizen, but it wasn't an like officially approved part of the development stream. I thought it was one of the stretch goals that we met. It is one of the stretch goals, but the list of stretch goals that have been met that haven't been touched yet is quite long so i think they're waiting for a while before they get that fully active they might be working on making it work with squadron 42 but they haven't announced any official support for arena commander or star marine or the persistent universe yet i don't believe in multiplayer games everyone expects a mechanism to join up with friends In shooter arenas, it's a requirement to have some sort of friends list grouping system that will get all of your buddies into a game together, and many also support things like adding clan tags. In persistent space sims like Elite and Star Citizen, these groups are more official. Star Citizen has organizations, and Elite has factions, sorta kinda. These go beyond mere groupings of players, or at least they're beginning to. Elite has recently started recognizing player factions, giving them home stations. This most recent development has started to raise or re-raise questions about group ownership. Some people want the home station mechanic to be the beginning of more player influence on the economy and more recognition of player groups. 
They're hoping faction leaders will be able to generate and fund missions for players in-game, possibly in order to contribute to faction coffers or fund a faction-owned fleet of ships. Similar hopes bloom for Star Citizen fans. Crips Roberts has hinted that organizations will eventually own so-called economy nodes, including their staff and the goods associated. It's also already been promised that orgs will be able to post jobs, and those jobs can be taken by players or NPCs to maintain a realistic economy simulation. Others say that an in-game station with the group's name should really be enough. Naysayers point to EVE Online, with megacorporations owning thousands of real dollars worth of assets that have been used to lock players out of areas of the game, swindle gamers out of hard-earned property, and occasionally set off intergalactic wars in fits of pique. They fear giving so much power and property to groups allows for griefing on unprecedented and dangerous levels. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate organization or player ownership rules. Henry refuses to own anything jointly and won't even chip in money to buy a present for a colleague at work. He buys a separate one. While Jeff has a co-signer on every purchase he makes over $50. His credit is horrible, but that's beside the point. So, Jeff, why is organization property in-game a good thing? Well, I'm glad you asked, Osteron, because it's it's very key in these multiplayer universes, especially on the scale of EVE and uh, Star Citizen, that a group feels involved in the surroundings in which they're playing in. And by owning assets together, uh, you feel like you're contributing to the overall health of that organization. Thank you for that. Henry, your response? I think we already have a lot of that uh, control over the economy built into games like Elite. There's a deep simulation of an economy happening already. Missions are available based on the economy in a system and the in industry type. I think you'll be able to set the industry type for your organization, so you already have control of that. I think uh, complicating it further than that is just kind of kind of take what's working as a simulation already and overcomplicate it. Thank you for that reply. And Jeff, your rebuttal. That, it may be true that the economy is set up in the beginning, but with Star Citizen in particular, you're looking at an economy or, or design that is going to be different than those other ones. Remember, Star Citizen did it first, even though they're not out in the world yet. The thing is, is if you want to grab that big, huge capital ship for the organization, you're going to need to feel like you've contributed to that. And as such, we're going to need an economy to back that, uh, to fuel that drive to to make a feel like an accomplishment has been made thank you for that and henry your final point in uh in games like star citizen where more multiplayer is more important perhaps uh, in games like elite it's largely a single player game and i think the idea of having that economic simulation broken from the way that it works currently is probably just a bad idea in a game like Star Citizen, maybe, but I think you've run the risk of seeing what happened in EVE, where players are locked out and where griefing is widespread. So, Henry, where are you? Uh, I know Jeff is firmly on the side of his own opinion. Were you arguing what you actually believe there? I am, actually. I, I kind of like a balance between the two. Take a game like Star Trek Online, which I'm really, really familiar with. Fleets in that game have access to a star base. They can set provisions of what their fleet members can buy, and it's fleet-specific gear. So you feel like you're contributing to your fleet, and you can get rewards for that, but it's not affecting the simulation for everyone else. 
Uh, it's just affecting the simulation for those in your fleet. And the fleet leaders get to have a little bit of power too because they get to choose you know, what projects the fleets are contributing to. Sure, it's basically just a bucket to throw your credits and your dilithium in, uh, but those fleet projects do grant results even uh, with respect to like things that are just visual in the fleet starbase. You know? I'd like to see that kind of stuff in games like Elite or Star Citizen, but I feel like once they, once they really start letting the fleet or the guild or the organization offset the economy, they're running the risk of exploits. That may be true, um, but we got to be careful also that we don't get these multi-currency things going on as well. Yeah, I hate that multi-currency stuff. You know, I I, I uh, am a lifetime subscriber with STO, and you know, I I started and ran uh, ran the uh, Priority One fleet uh, when it first when we first made it up. That's cool. I didn't know that. So I'm well I'm well familiar with the with the fleet system. I think it's a good start. I, I agree. They, that's one thing that STO did really well was they they incorporated the fleets, although I never did like that word because uh, being military, it's kind of a misnomer. It's all one fleet, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. That uh, these uh, ideas that you can um, get fleet uh, weapons and fleet ships and all that it's good because they're they're nice. I mean, they're 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 well worth the effort that you as a player can bring to the table uh, as part of that organization. So contributing has merit, has value, and that's all I'm asking for in in Star Citizen. That I, I don't want a an economy like uh, Eve. Absolutely not. I, I've been on the receiving end of that too many times, which is why I don't play Eve anymore. But I think that there can be a balance there. I think we can find a way to get a sphere of influence, uh, as they used to say in the old days, to have some impact on the economy that is going on and be a part of that. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. I mean, that's exactly what's missing from the Star Trek Online implementation. But then again, in that game, there really is no economy to speak of. The right. only economy exists in their cash store. I like the idea of organizations being able to have an impact or participate in the economy i just think it has to be very closely monitored because like with depending on how it's set up the organizations have the potential to make and spend credits at a level that's orders of magnitude larger than most normal players and i just i'd want to know what sort of safeguards are being put in place to prevent or to mitigate the sort of things like the horror stories we hear from Eve where, you know, one guild leader decides that, you know, they're done with the game, so they're going to take all of their credits, buy something worthless, and then, like, fly it into a star or something like that. And the other, the other thing I'm wondering, comparing it to the STO system is Star Trek Online, the gameplay is much more PvE than it is PvP in general, or at least it was the brief time that I played it. Is Absolutely that, still is. Yeah. So I, I just worry that even if there aren't particular projects or items that are only attainable if you're part of an organization in Star Citizen or even Elite, I just wonder, since both of those games have PvP aspects to them, Star Citizen probably more so than Elite. 
because as far as we know, Star Citizen won't necessarily have a way to completely opt out of PvP with a 100% guarantee. I think they should avoid the situation where people start running to organizations because they feel like they have to or they're going to die. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, in one way, that gives the organizations a purpose, you know, and a reason for people to cluster together. But you know me, I'm not a PvPer. I'm not really super interested in getting blown up every time I spawn. Well, you have our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's debate question... Should organizations be able to buy, own, and control all the same things players do in-game? Or does that freedom give them far too much influence over other players? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say he cooks his vegetables in a pot with an inset to allow hot water vapor to pass through, and that you could possibly call it a steam controller, but all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. And here's a recap of last week's community questions. Number one, do you like what you've heard of Star Citizen's music, or were you hoping for a different sound? Two, are you looking forward to crewing on another ship in Elite Dangerous, or do you just want to order minions around? And last week's debate question, should games have a tutorial system for every aspect of their gameplay for equal access to all, or does it enhance the realism to include some things that have to be taught by experienced masters or learned through trial and error? Preacher writes, I'm one of those gamers that once I launch the game, I turn on music off because I find it distracting. As for tutorials, I think all basic mechanics should be taught from how to complete the mission to setting up your ship and how to fly. Keep up the great work, and hopefully one day I'll be able to send money your way. We like that. Sean Newboy writes, Great show, everyone. I'm looking forward to the music. No opinion. There should always be tutorials for controls and systems. Tactics on how and when should be player-based, as games change over time, and with that, so do methods of play. Amontillado writes in and says, Star Citizen and Squadron 42's music has been fantastic. It's not at the point of familiarity that themes in Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica are, though. I can't just whistle up Star Citizen tunes on a whim. Maybe someday. As to tutorials, a game should take the time to teach its player how to play. If a new feature is added, a manual tutorial should be updated along with it. This doesn't mean a game should remove all discovery, but that a manual tutorial should never feel out of date. Chuck007 writes, Great stuff, guys. Tutorials are always a must. Having years of experience with flight sims, it is not uncommon to have a manual with hundreds of pages taking the place of a tutorial, but that was part of the fun and expectations. For a space sim hoping to cater to a wide audience, a crappy tutorial can be a sales killer. He's right. You should see my Falcon 4.0 manual. I mean, that thing is, is like going to flight school. <laughs> yep. I love those manuals, though. Yeah, I did too. Krell submitted, In my opinion, there needs to be a basic in-game tutorial for every game system, preferably an optional mission system where you're out doing the activity. It does not need to, and in fact should definitely not, include all the nuance available, but it should provide a solid foundation. Not everyone likes to be social, and they shouldn't be forced into it. My dad was a member of the science team for the Spirit and Opportunity rovers, for real, and he told me that Spirit really likes your show overall, but it would like more artisanal content. Opportunity is more of a Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, oh yeah. 
So uh, everybody seemed to line up with the conclusions we came to after last week's debate, for the most part. Yeah, it seems like it. I, I really think uh, that you get the manual tutorial for the ship operations. You get the player experience and the master uh, for how to use that uh, player experience. So, you know, whether it's battling one enemy over versus another, each one has their own tactics, you might gain that knowledge from a master, whereas how to turn the, the cargo lights on uh, or the mining lights on is d- done by the manual. I, I do I do miss the binder manuals, though. I, I wish more games would spend some dollars on printing out some real cool manuals. Yeah, some of my favorite gaming ever was uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's many iterations, and it always came with these great instructional videos that made you feel like you were really in flight school, and they taught you not just the mechanics of, like, which buttons to toggle, but taught you things like traffic patterns and stuff like that. And I think in modern space sims, learning the toggling the buttons is what you get out of tutorials, and then learning things like the flight pattern is what you go to YouTube for. I think it's kind of like outsourcing for them to let users uh, generate that kind of tutorial content. The best ones I can lay example on, I have every single one of their games still on my shelf in almost a holy altar of some kind is Jane's. Jane's simulators, they were the best and every one of them came with these spiral bound five by seven manuals tabulated and oh, they were just just gorgeous i mean i think they had a great uh submarine simulator that i really loved yep. they had some good flight stuff too but i really loved their submarine oh they're, submarine they're long my favorite game of all time all time flight sim is the longbow longbow 2 that that was that i i spent hours and hours i i probably because of the time i spent in that and the manuals that they gave you i probably could actually fly a helicopter <laughs> yeah i hear you that's awesome they actually did in the military at one point. Somebody went to they. I think it was the Air Force. They enrolled in the Air Force, or one of the. They enrolled as a, a pilot in one of the branches, regardless. And like their first attempt at taking an aircraft up, they walked in and did everything textbook perfect, end to end. And the commander was like. Where the hell did you learn to do that? Because there was no flight experience in his history. And he said it was from playing Microsoft Flight Simulator 10. That's awesome. That's literally all he had for training. And he was able to take an actual aircraft from takeoff to landing just based on what he'd learned in those simulators. So they were definitely impressive pieces of software. I mean, they were using Microsoft Flight Simulator at a flight school that I was looking at years and years ago. Before uh, September 11th, where I live, flight school was going to be very cheap. But now I'm in the D.C. area, so flight school is instantly became much worse, more expensive, and a bigger pain after September 11th. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to, to actually go through with flight school because the price really doubled that year. But they were using Flight Sim at the field uh, in, the, in the class. That was interesting. Unfortunately, to your guys' desires about the manuals, ink and heavy pieces of paper are really expensive to ship. I get it. I, I just, I, you know, I just wish that, you know, some companies would say, you know, this game is worthy of a finely, you know, organized, tabulated, and printed manual. I bet there would be some games that would have special editions that would have uh, 
the printed material available. I just don't think we're ever going to see it as a standard part of the base game anymore. Yeah, I don't think so either. But those uh, those nice full-color printed books that come with special editions are always fun. They're not going to be the nice manuals we're talking about, but a lot of times it's good art books and things. I still have my Star Trek Online Collector's Edition. It came with a badge and a really great art book. I love when they do that. You don't see that much anymore. I mean, look at like No Man's Sky. They, they were supposed to have all those great uh, extra materials, and then I think they finally just shipped a month ago. Something like that? Yeah, they had the the model ship that was offered as the as part of the $150 package shipped a little while ago, and that didn't go well. Not at all. Um, I think coverage of that was in episode 153 for interested listeners. Our new, uh, well, what can I say? No new Patreons, but ship has labels printed and just needs to stuff envelopes and get to the post office, but there are no Patreons. So how can he stuff envelopes? Oh wait, I don't I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know. And this week's community questions. How's two point six point one? Did you read something in the monthly report we missed? The research badgers want some time off, so let us know what you think of the Frontier live streams. Do you have any plans to play Hellion? What price are you hoping for when it hits early access? And our debate community questions should organizations be able to buy own and control all the same things players do in game or does that freedom give them far too much influence over the other players for the course it does <laughs> you heard our thoughts we want to hear yours drop us an email a tweet or a comment on our show post which you can find on our website and over on our facebook page so how was the show did we own the thing outright or is it just not a buyer's market Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. And leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 155 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 156 on February 21st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. We start recording around 10 o'clock p.m. Central, which is Saturdays at 5 a.m. in Belgium. Sorry for the offensive language. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous Flight Group. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out on PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. 
thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey, who makes such dulcet tones out of us week on week. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. This is Ostron Prelude Sync 1. This is Lennon Prelude Sync. As we've mentioned previously, shuffling, reordering, and tweaking these missions will allow... Okay, I used missions way too often there. It's like you made, your, you made it your mission to use mission over that's, and over and over uh, that's, that's very good. Right. <laughs> Keep that up. I'll make you write this stuff. <laughs> As we've mentioned previously, shuffle... Uh, as we've mentioned previously, shuffling, reordering, and now I've got kin shadow disease. <laughs> As we've mentioned previously, shuffling, reordering, and tweaking these missions will allow story arcs that are the same. No, I ruined the. Yeah. <sighs> In Schooner Arenas, it's. No. Sh... Did I say Schooner there? You did. Okay. So we'll pretend that didn't happen. Many people agree that space. Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting that, uh, what's it called? The, the kin shadow disease. Yeah. Do you like what we do? Want to help us mess? The, the, yeah. Mess. Mess the day. Yeah. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the debt? I'm just going to stop. It's like read it as, do you like this mess? Are we messing yeah. it up good? <laughs> I'm j I was just thrown by the offensive language thing. That's probably a joke but i don't i, don't, I didn't get it either i didn't get it either so <laughs> I, obviously this is a british thing i should say sorry for uh, the bad joke keep that up i'll make you write this stuff <laughs>